Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. We are celebrating a year in film here on the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. My name is Andrew Auger. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. You've come across a very, very special episode. We are diving into our favorite movies of 2019. Nate Longarini will be joining us. Jake Hensler will be joining us. It's a lot of fun today, boys. How we doing? Doing very well. Indeed, lots of fun. I look forward to this every year. I mean, I, I look forward to it, but I also stress about it. This gives me, like, a lot of anxiety for no reason at all. <laughs> yeah, because you're very indecisive. It's cramming for that test you didn't study for, because at least for my end, because I don't get a chance to see everything like Cough Cough Drew does. Yeah. Nate and I are both in the mid to high 30s as far as movies seen in 2019, and Andrew is, like, 230. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Roughly. Yeah, that was a pretty weird estimate, but close. You know, you're there. <laughs> I'm a little lower than last year, so, I mean... Hashtag strive to be greater in 2020. But I've seen about 165 movies this year. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and just so we're clear, it's movies that were released this year yeah. that you've seen 160 of, right? Correct. Good Lord. I didn't know they released 160 <laughs> movies in a year. Well, yeah, I guess that's a big reason why it held me back because they probably released less wide releases this year. <laughs> well, hopefully the quality is a little bit better. Hopefully. So basically here's how this is going to work. We're going to have five movies. We're going to go in order and basically each of us will take a turn and talk about our movie. If we have a lot of overlap, we won't be dwelling on one movie for too long. We'll eventually be moving on to the next one. Uh, we'll probably talk about a little bit of few honorable mentions uh, and we'll go obviously – it would be I guess ascending order. It would be ascending as far as the best but descending as far as numbers go. Right, starting with our number five and working our way up. Exactly. That was the way to say that that wasn't completely f***ing confusing for everybody. Thank you, Jake. That's fine. <laughs> I have my moments. For once, you did something right. Thank you. Um, before we get to our top five list of the year, we have a little bit of housekeeping to take care of because, as a lot of you know, and some of you may not know, we're about to recap it for you in a second, we have our box office draft going on. There are some significant updates that Nate is going to tell us about right now. All you care about is money. The box office disaster. Money, money, money. Alrighty, so if you're just catching up, what the box office draft is, is kind of like a fantasy league for movies and the money that they make while they're in theaters. So a couple weeks back, me, Drew, and Jake all drafted five movies apiece. And every week we'll tally up how much money our team has made. And at the end of the season, which will be the second week of April, the person with the lowest score has to watch a horrible movie three times back to back to back. So we said this day was coming. The post-Christmas, post-New Year's, post-Star Wars box office update. And it was a doozy. Star Wars has shot up to be the number one 
grossing movie of the draft. At the time of this recording, it sits at about 450. It's probably going to go up closer to 500 by the time this podcast uh, is released. Uh, so Drew is sitting nice and pretty with that total there. Again, backed up by Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Charlie's Angels. Pretty weak backup. It's like when you call for yeah. backup and they give you the rookies <laughs> the first day on the job. Basically. But quick update on my front. I'm still in the lead at the time of this recording, which is cool. So I'm beating out Star Wars with the combo of Ford v. Ferrari and Frozen 2. Yeah, Jesus. I've been hanging on that since week freaking one. Frozen 2, by the way, now the highest grossing animated movie ever worldwide. Ever. So ridiculous. Very, very quiet about it, I think, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I've been sitting pretty with that, and I finally get a release in the horizon with Bad Boys for Life with our good old Michael Bay crew coming back. It could be awesome. It could flop. It's a January movie. They're notoriously hit or miss, <laughs> at the very least. Gotta love the Michael Bay crew coming back without Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, Jake has also shot up in a major way with Jumanji doing incredibly well during the holiday season. Uh, so much so that by a trajectory basis, it's holding a little bit better when Star Wars comparatively to how big their openings were, which is kind of crazy. Knives Out has also been a surprise hit. Officially broke $120 million in the box office and is reaching towards 150, which is huge for an original movie. His other two releases are Cats and 1917. We'll get to Cats in a second. Yeah. But 1917 is currently in its limited release. So by the time you're listening to this, we might get a better sense of how well it's going to do, but it's coming off this Golden Globes high which is going to be massive for it in the long haul. Um, 1917 is cool. I'm I'm happy that Jumanji's doing well, like, selfishly. But generally, I'm mad because I didn't like the first one. I didn't even see this one that came out. And I just, I think they're... You're not supporting your own team? No, they're so overrated. <laughs> <laughs> this has nothing to do with the quality. You can not like a player, but still hate the game. I know, but, it, I know, but it's so ridiculous that Jumanji 2, the sequel... The, the sequel to the reboot is doing so well, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, but. technically it's Jumanji 3. <laughs> yeah, well, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty much up to date, and Nate is going to fill you in on Cats, which, yeah, him and Andrew were right. Go ahead. <laughs> the Taylor uh, Swift crowd was non-existent. <laughs> they were just all home for the holidays. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Cats is one of the biggest box office bombs of recent times. They spent... Close to $100 million yeah. on just production alone. You don't have to just say recent times. You can say history. He needs to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me straight. It's my intervention. Yes. Yeah. Worldwide obviously helps a little, but we're talking chump change when it comes to box office. It's only made uh, about $25 million here in the States, which is <laughs> not good. <laughs> yeah, survey says that's not that good. That was the Taylor Swift crowd, <laughs> those $25 million. <laughs> And even they were like, oof. Yeah, see, the Taylor Swift crowd got in line, and they were like, what's an Idris Elba? And then they went home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lordy. So, uh, one of the rules of the draft is that we, you are allowed to trade one movie per season. Uh, Drew and I have already 
used our slots to take Sonic and Bad Boys for Life, respectively. Yeah, not because we suck, but because a movie got taken from me. This is a suckage <laughs> twist here. Yeah, movies got released, uh, or sorry, their release dates were delayed past the point of the draft. So we swapped out our effective zeros for at least movies that'll make something, we hope. Uh, Jake, yeah. on the other hand, has the benefit of throwing away a movie that is tanking. So, yeah. Jake, what do you got for us? Um, so, yeah, you guessed it. I'm going to toss Cats happily. <laughs> and I'm potentially, I think I'm going to go with another movie that really does not look good. There might be a family crowd for it. I'm going to really take a chance here on Doolittle and make Andrew roll his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Could you facepalm into the camera a little bit more, Drew? <laughs> I more think it's rude that he's not waiting for Cats' other eight lives before throwing it out. I'm just saying. I've... Seems rude to me. If it had 10 lives, I would still kick it to the curb. <laughs> I need something else. <laughs> this is bad. Well, in terms of CGI, do little looks a little better? And there have been trailers that I've seen people give little claps and giggles to, so. Who's clapping during a trailer, man? <laughs> or like Giddy, you know. Like like Yippee? Like, like Jake Lloyd? Kind of. <laughs> God. Well, best of luck. To you, Jake, but I personally hope it bombs because it doesn't look good to me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I have a good feeling that Doolittle will not be on our top five favorite movies of 2020. Sorry, Jake. I'm just I, – I have a sixth sense about these things. <laughs> I also might not go support that and it's on my team, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a true team player. <laughs> um, so the box office draft, keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be doing updates. Uh, it's going to be a tight one to the end. We have until April to count all this stuff. So that'll be fun. Moving on to the main event, the main attraction. Let's talk about our top five favorite movies of 2019. Like I mentioned earlier, I've seen 160 of these. and Jake and Nate have seen about 40 of them. I mean, good movies are good movies. So a lot of the times I'll recommend something to them. They'll recommend something to me and we'll come to a middle. So don't be surprised if there's some overlap. So we'll start with Nate. Then we'll go over to Jake. Then we'll do me. Nate, the floor is yours. Give me any honorable mentions you might have for 2019, and then give me your number five movie of last year. Alrighty. So I'll do my disclaimer now that the two movies that I've really wanted to see but just didn't get the chance to were Marriage Story and The Lighthouse. So apologies for advance if this makes anybody's lists because I can't comment on them because I haven't seen them yet. In terms of honorable mentions, though, um, there were a lot of really good solid movies this year um and i actually had trouble picking out which was gonna make my number five spot so i'm gonna shout out rocket man and dr sleep as two original movies that really knocked it out of the park i love the cast i love the direction uh both movies affected me in obviously very different ways but a lot a lot of fun at the theaters for both of those features and definitely go check them out if you haven't those movies probably were both in my third tier uh, movies I really liked but didn't love. Uh, I think they both feature terrific performances, and I agree there's a lot of creative ingenuity with the direction. But I had my main tier, which were the elite ones, which obviously I'll get into more. Then I have my next tier, which are a lot of really, really great movies that I just couldn't find room for. And then I have the really good but not great. And I would say Rocket Man and Doctor Sleep are both there because they're both really solid films, and I do recommend you see them. Yeah, coincidentally, I missed both of those, Nate. So yeah, there you go. Made it easy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, moving along to number five, and this was possibly the biggest box office event of the year, if not the decade. It's Avengers Endgame. It brought everything together. 
incredible ensemble cast that may never be matched again unless the MCU keeps trucking along. But despite over 20 movies that they had to keep up with, all these crazy plot points, even throwing a time travel loop in there, there was so much that could have gone wrong that they somehow managed to subvert and create a darn good movie and just a darn good experience. I don't think we're ever going to get something quite like Avengers Endgame again, but I'm so happy it came out this year. It's quite a miracle, honestly, that that movie exists in every single aspect. Of course, we've gone plot beat by plot beat, so we don't have a lot to say about it that you can already listen to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I will say it just missed my list. It's my number six. It's right on the edge. Yeah. It's also in my six through ten, but obviously loved it. Excellent. Remarkable at – not obviously the box office numbers, but it's remarkable that it was as good as it was because sometimes box office hits aren't actually quality movies. Mm. This really managed both. Yeah. Absolutely. A lesser movie would have just been the crowd pleaser, but this managed to have satisfying arcs for all our characters. Cough, cough, Game of Thrones. Cough. (laughs) (laughs) And topped it off with all the blockbuster spectacle that we expected and needed and then some. Great, great flick. That's actually a good point. In a year where we saw the end of the original MCU movies, Game of Thrones and Star Wars, I think we all agree – uh, Marvel absolutely did it the best. By far. Yeah, it's not even close. Very impressive. Very impressive. It shows how hard it is to do. It was a celebration of a decade of fantastic entertainment and kind of a little bit of a tease for what's to come. So absolutely love that pick, obviously. Yeah, bravo. Mr. Hensler, what's your number five film? Um, so a couple honorable mentions, obviously Endgame. Um, Us by Jordan Peele. I'll throw an honorable mention for sure. Um, I will throw Little Women, an honorable mention, um, and I'd, I'd say the biggest one that really could squeeze in my list, but I'm going to say doesn't, is Toy Story 4, because I only saw it once and I didn't get to rewatch it. So that gets a big honorable mention. It's really in contention for a top five. So without further ado, my number five and my favorite horror movie of the year really stuck with me, Midsummer. Oh. Yeah, it's not- did you see it, Nate? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the interesting thing about Midsummer is that it's absolutely a horror movie, you know, by default for the genre, but it's not really scary as much as it is psychologically intense and, you know, questioning and exhausting. And I guess it's psychologically scary, but it's not something you sit through and like fear for your life. About. Right. It's terrifying in the way that like we've all experienced the idea of being in a toxic relationship and just that's the scariest part of it. It's the whole idea that like you're with a person you're not meant to be with and you're also in a horrifying situation with a cult. <laughs> it's like both right. those things. <laughs> right. So I, I saw it twice in theaters and it's one of those movies that I liked it just as much if not more the second time, which was both in July. And then it just kept growing on me and growing on me. The more I thought about it, the more I saw the detail in the writing and directing, how brilliant Florence Pugh was and the acting like – just so much of it I really, really fell in love with, and it just grew on me over over so many months. I will say I I personally felt like this was a slightly weak year, in my opinion. I don't think this would have made my top five in the last couple of years. Interesting. See, I disagree. I think this was a really yeah, strong year. Yeah, I think year. this is a great year. I had so many fours oh, and fives out of fives. Like, I had, like, four or five nines that I couldn't put on the list. Like, that's pretty good. It's interesting. All right, we have a lot to talk about. So, yeah, number five, Midsummer. Really, really enjoyed it. 
I'm glad you liked it. I'm never going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. Midsummer is in probably the second tier for me, the one I was talking about, the good, not great. Uh, his previous film, Ari Aster, he made Hereditary, which made my list last year. Also great. Yes, this movie is a little more messy and a little less controlled than Hereditary was, but it's still pretty haunting. You think about it a lot when you're done with it. And again, we'll probably, spoiler alert, we'll be talking about Florence Pugh a little bit later, I will say, a little bit more. All right, let me do my 10 through 6 really quick uh, because some of you might have these. Like I said, this was difficult. I agree with Nate. There's a lot of movies I want to get to again, and the order might shift a little, but I feel pretty set with my five. My number 10, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Quentin Tarantino, trying a straight comedy for the first time in his career, pulls it off in spades. It's a very patient burn. It's a very easy movie to watch. It's very lightweight and carefree, which throws you off the first time. You revisit it a second time. You appreciate it a lot more. Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt. Two of, if not the best performances of their career, and a hell of an ending. Just one of the best endings of the year, by far. Wild. Amen. <laughs> so watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, number 10. Number 9. This one is actually a little bit uh, off-kilter. Apollo 11. It was a documentary put together by CNN, put in theaters for a couple weeks. It takes a lot of archived footages. It's basically real-life First Man. We all loved First Man last year by Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling. This takes the real-life footage of Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong and crafts a tense, tense, tense documentary that takes you through every single second of the launch and landing of Apollo 11 on the moon. It's really well done. I absolutely recommend it. If you like documentaries, it's pretty quick. See it on a big screen if you can. It's probably too late, but this might be a good thing to see it like a planetarium. That's number nine. Number eight, The Irishman. Martin Scorsese took him nine years to make this movie. Don't know why nobody would give him the money to work with De Niro, Pesci, Pacino, but there you go. That's how the system has come. Netflix comes in to swing through and save the day. Three and a half hours long. It is worth all three and a half hours in my opinion. It is such a transformative and interesting take on the gangster genre that he made formative. The whole idea that being a gangster could be fun in the moment and it gives you a good lifestyle in the moment, but when all of your friends are dead in the ground, guess what? It's not as fun anymore. De Niro, Pacino, Pesci, excellent performances. I think at least one of them is a serious contender for either Best Supporting Actor or Best Actor. You've heard a bunch about The Irishman. You've probably memed it already. That's my number eight. <laughs> number seven, Toy Story 4. Jake, you're right. You need to see it again because I think it will jump up even more. I, I can't believe how good this movie was. I was talking so much shit for so long, and now I bow down. I was with you. <laughs> I think we all were. I bowed down to the feet of that lamp. I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> Toy Story 4, I, I cried again. I just can't believe they did it again. I talked about it on a previous podcast. That's my number seven. Number six, we already talked about Avengers Endgame. Number five, let's talk about Parasite by Bong Joon-ho. Big-time foreign filmmaker, Korean filmmaker that has made a lot of movies that you've probably heard your film snob friend tell you about over the last decade or so, but that you probably never got around to because subtitles or you got too busy or whatever. But you absolutely should be seeing movies like Snowpiercer and The Host and Okja, and you definitely need to see Parasite because it's probably going to win Best Foreign Film, and I think it is probably one of the top three or four contenders for Best Picture. I don't want to tell you anything about the plot. I don't want to tell you anything about the genre, but because as I bet both of these two will attest. This movie exists on its own. It is such a unique firecracker of a film. There's no way to box it in. It is so smart. It's so clever. It is so ludicrously entertaining and intense and funny. It just hits every single emotional checkbox that you're looking for in cinema. And I'm just so glad a movie like this exists and that it's been embraced like it has been. So that's my number five, Parasite. Absolutely. 
wholeheartedly agree with this pick, Drew. It's a great, great movie. And I'm usually that guy who's like, oh, foreign film is making its rounds through Reddit pages or whatnot. Like, oh, good <laughs> reviews. Like, cool. This one just kept on making headlines, making my feed recommended by everyone. And I was like, fine, I'm in New York. I'll go see it. Jeez, just shut up already. Went and saw it. And holy cow, what a ride. I agree. Know as little as possible going in. It is a great, great movie. Have you guys ever seen the meme of the panda that picks up the keyboard and just starts slamming it? Really upset. I think so. It's a popular meme. I wanted to do this to one of my coworkers a couple of months ago because I walked past his desk and he was reading the plot synopsis. And he was like, I'm never going to see it anyway. And I was like, no. <laughs> I almost short-circuited. Like I almost Good had Lord. like uh, <laughs> the little Eddie Murphy meet Dave people inside of me almost mutinied. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Yeah, that's a damn shame. Go in knowing nothing, like Nate said. I was giving you your time, Jake, if you wanted it. Or... I'm. It'll come up later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It will. Uh, so. <laughs> Parasite, my number five. Nate Lungarini, what's your number four movie of the year? All right, number four. It'll be another superhero entry and the last one for me. Uh, so process some illumination there. It's Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm. Really? Tom Holland really cemented himself as a mainstay in the MCU and a new anchor in the MCU. And as cool as Endgame was for the spectacle, I loved Spider-Man for its heart. I really dug the story. I really dug the characters. And it was a nice return to form, I think, for the MCU to get back into something a little bit smaller, even though by the end it felt like it had global connotations again. The end of the day, it was all about Peter and his relationship with his friends, his enemies, and his identity as Spider-Man again. He's always been one of the most relatable heroes, and this movie definitely knocked it out of the park for me and made me love this younger, newer Spider-Man all over again. Wholeheartedly enjoyed it, and Jake Gyllenhaal to boot was just so much fun. <laughs> oh, you're you're barking up the Andrew tree. <laughs> all hail King Jake. That's all I got to say about that. Aw. Uh, all hail King Jake Gyllenhaal. Let's specify. Oh. <laughs> very important distinction I just realized thank you very much Nate I think you gotta send me Andrew's audio clip after this so I can just, <laughs> just sniff a little what bit I oh, want. it'll be a ringtone for a very long time <laughs> um, I find it very interesting that you have this above Endgame I like this movie a lot me too this was a surprise I was not expecting yeah. the idea of having the epilogue after the main course is something very interesting to me but you can't account for personal taste, and I can't say that this is a bad movie. I really like Spider-Man Far From Home for sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I did too, but I think I'm the low man of the three. I think, for me, Homecoming and Far From Home both are good, but I didn't fall in love with either of them. I didn't know you liked it that much. Oh, uh, yeah, I I really liked Homecoming. I don't know, I think it's more about the emotional connection that I have with the characters. Endgame, obviously, is spectacle and fun, and exciting but it's harder to place yourself and your own emotions into that type of story just because there's so much going on i felt like i could do that a lot more with far from home Mm -hmm. the 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 stark arc exactly (laughs) stark arc yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, I get it. That was pretty nice. That rolled off the tongue. I'm going to use that now. <laughs> I like that. So since we're keeping the superhero train rolling, Jake, I'm expecting your number four to be Hellboy. <laughs> Imagine. Um, no, not not quite. No. Um, it's something you briefly brought up, Andrew. Um, I will say my four and three were a toss-up. As far as my top five goes, my four and three were the closest race. But I settled on number four being one of my absolute favorite directors, Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Another one that I saw twice and another one I liked way better the second time. I liked it the first time, but the second time, I, everything just kind of fit together. Like, I didn't love Hateful Eight, so I was so happy to see Tarantino come back in full form and just kicking ass in the cinema again. So good. All the, all the performances were great. Just the entire movie. I, it was, what, 2.45? Yeah. I could have sat for another hour easily. So much fun. Yeah, that movie depends on you hanging out with those dudes and liking those dudes. And you do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I want to drink with both one of them. One of the seminal scenes, this is not a huge spoiler or anything, but one of the seminal scenes is us literally just watching TV with them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's fine. <laughs> like it's Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio riff tracks, and it's amazing. It's so fun. I love that this is DiCaprio's first project after Revenant, and I'm just like, God, it's good, good to see him again. I'd hang out with him in this character. And they're both so fun, but they both nail their emotional notes when they need to. Even the little things like, you know, Brad Pitt living in a trailer with his dog, but his best friend is like a pretty famous actor who he's a stuntman for. Like so many things about this are just so fun. Margot Robbie watching herself in a movie, loved it. Like so many aspects of this movie are so fun. Such pure joy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it again. And I've probably said this before, but Brad Pitt stole the movie for me. As much as Leo is awesome and Margot is awesome, Brad Pitt we spend the most time with him and uh, I don't think I've ever walked away from movies saying that Brad Pitt was that freaking cool, but he freaking was man stole it from Leo. And that's crazy. Yeah. I'm a fight club buff. So I'll, I'll count it with fight club, but I didn't know Andrew will push back, but absolutely. He's, he's so stupid fun in this movie. And when he goes to spawn ranch, I had that moment of like, Oh, I kind of want to be him. He's so cool. Like <laughs> <laughs> one of the best set pieces of the year by far. Yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Some really good feet stuff in there, too. Good job, Quentin. Getting some some feet on the glass, putting feet up in the movie theater. (laughs) Just everywhere. He's not even shameless about it anymore. No. No. (laughs) He's embracing it. Weird. All right, so Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jake's number four. My number four, switching gears quite a bit. We kind of talked about a toxic relationship in Jake's number five, Midsummer. This is a different kind of toxic relationship in this movie. It doesn't always have to end with murder and death. Uh, relationship. Sometimes it ends with two people who love each other but just fall out of love with each other. And that's the twisted web that Noah Baumbach brings to the screen in the very autobiographical, very tender, very touching, extremely well-scripted and acted and directed marriage story, which is available now on Netflix. Another one that y'all have memed to death and I need you to stop. Yeah, that that really got me tight, honestly. I was pissed about that. Right. Because that's an amazing scene that is now used for comedy on the internet. Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, (laughs) Basically playing Noah Baumbach and Jennifer Jason Lee, his former wife, who of course was a Tarantino favorite in The Hateful Eight. They have such a complicated relationship where it's – they clearly don't want to be together. They've clearly made mistakes. They have things they want to say to each other but they can't say to each other. It's a lot of intensely written dialogue mixed with incredibly unspoken emotions and they're backed up by incredible supporting cast. You've got Laura Dern who's probably going to win Best Supporting Actress. Alan Alda, you've got Ray Liotta, just great actors up and down this film. But it's the really the Scarlet and Adam Driver show. And Adam Driver, he is officially in the top 10 actors, I think, working right now. 
if if this movie doesn't convince you, I don't know what will. He had a hell of a month between Kylo Ren and Marriage Yeah, Story. absolutely. And Scarlett Johansson simultaneously had the best and worst year of her career. Like, <laughs> unbelievable in this, really good in Endgame, and then just said the stupidest shit online. <sighs> so, yeah, good. I guess good for you, Scarlett. And you're with Colin Joe, so good for you. Um, <laughs> Marriage Story, absolutely recommended if you have not seen it already, especially if you really like dramas, if you really like dialogue, wordplay, if you really like the camera lingering on your actors as they give monologues or if they sing or if they just stare intensely at each other. Marriage Story is for you. And it's on Netflix, so it's easily accessible. No excuses. Talk to the guy who hasn't seen it yet. Actually, I was going to say get off your ass and see it, but get on your ass and see it because it's on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, Nate, get on that ass. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Too busy editing our Star Wars stuff. <laughs> that's, so that's Marriage Story. That's my number four. Nate, is what is your number three? All righty. So past the franchises now, we're into original movie territory. And this one is... I think a lot of fun, and we all really liked it. It's Knives Out. Mm. That one I'm not surprised to hear from you. (laughs) (laughs) This had so many great performances, uh, so many cool, creative, and kind of subversive characters. Ryan Johnson, at the very least, he's consistent on that front. He really likes to play with your expectations. And not only do the characters surprise you, but whodunit murder mystery type of movie surprised you too. And this one was a total break from so many different molds. I think this might have been the most fun I had at the movies, maybe toying with Endgame, but it was just such a breath of fresh air in what has been a really Disney-dominated year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is another one I I forgot to mention, absolutely my honorable mention, probably my 6 through 10 somewhere, and I know, funnily enough, I'm the low man out of you two, and I thought it was great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's in my 11 to 15 range. Uh, I've seen it three times now, so that tells you what I think of it, even though it's there. It's probably – it's number 11, actually. It just missed my honorable mentions. Uh, I had another fun experience with it on Christmas Day. I saw it with my family. They really wanted to see it. So I'd seen it already. Um, King Ryan Johnson was nice enough to put an audio commentary online, so I was able to listen to that and get a lot of great insight about the movie while I was watching it again. In theaters? That's cool. Yeah. Huh. That's pretty wild. He obviously didn't do it for Star Wars, but he did it. He does it for pretty much. He did it for Looper. He did it for Brothers Bloom. I don't think Brick had iPhones around at the time, but he probably would have done it for that. It was awesome. It was so, so cool. And the audience was electric. They loved it. People are eating this up, like you said, at the box office thing earlier. Yeah, obviously, we went into it in depth two episodes ago. Listen to our full review there. Jake, what's your number three? Um, So, Nate, excellent pick with Knives Out. My number three which was the toss-up, and I think what gave it the lean is its rewatchability. I watched it twice in two weeks in December, and I could watch it again. That's Booksmart. God, Booksmart is so goddamn fun, funny, enjoyable. Every character is well-written, well-acted, just top to bottom. There's, like, no bad scene in the movie. It's just stupid enjoyable from start to finish. And it's so – I love how millennial it is too, just for one last quip before you guys jump in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll go first because I know Drew's going to gush about this movie. Uh, yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think that's one of the most smartly written movies of the year. The dialogue is fire the entire way through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, who's who's the substitute teacher guy or the principal? Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis. I – 
still just catch myself randomly cracking up thinking about that scene in the Uber. <laughs> oh, my God. That, so, that, so, so obviously funny. we're in audio only. But the first time I saw that move, the movie, I knew what was going to happen. And when it happened, it still made me put my hands over my mouth. And for me, that is a sign because I'm not very reactive. I'm not a big crier, things like that. So when a movie can do that for me, that is a big sign and it gets bonus points. And oh my God, does this movie get bonus points for things like that? It's so fun. Good pick. Yep. That's all I got to say for now. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, Not to be too coy, but that's Jake's number three movie, Booksmart. (laughs) Moving on to my number three movie. Guys, we're big men here. Let's talk about Little Women. Greta Gerwig made one of my favorite movies of the 2010s with Lady Bird. It was probably my number two, number three favorite film of the decade. That is an unbelievably clever, fun, heartfelt comedy from a really talented filmmaker announcing herself. But it was autobiographical, similar to Marriage Story. So I was wondering how she was going to be able to follow it up. And adapting what is one of the seminal American novels, one of the most popular books ever written, especially for a female audience, is a daunting task, especially when you attract talent like Saoirse Ronan and Meryl Streep and Laura Dern and Timothy Chalamet and Florence Pugh, who we talked about a little bit earlier with Midsummer. So I forgot Emma Watson, of course. And this movie is just, it's the definition of feel good. It is, it's a Christmas classic without being specifically about Christmas. It is an ode to sisterhood, an ode to kindness, an ode to women being powerful. It's an ode to family. Following your heart, your journey. Yeah, it's such a wholesome, incredibly acted, cleverly structured, gets you right in the core. It's one of those ones where you just walk out grinning ear to ear. Does this have the Paddington effect there, Drew? Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. It's mm. it's the closest, <laughs> I think, to Paddington 2 that came out this year as far as that kind of just pure giddiness and enthusiasm and ready to take on the world and f- cynicism get in its f-ing face have fun with that date <laughs> <laughs> greta has arrived folks she is a fantastic filmmaker she's a great storyteller is what makes her so special absolutely and i can't recommend this enough I, luckily a lot of you are seeing it it's doing really well at the box office i'm literally seeing it in two days from the time of this recording so i will have seen this by the time it's out looking forward to it very very much so jake i know you had it on honorable mentions yeah i'll, I'll give my i'll give my two cents real quick um if you've probably heard me talk about this two or three times, I, I got a very, very early screening, which was cool, but it was definitely roughly finished movie, but definitely a first draft. So I'm glad I got to see the final product before we reviewed this. I was talking, I saw it with my parents and I was telling them because it goes back from the past to the present, every scene, which is remarkable to me, every scene tells a story, every single yeah. scene. It's, it's, um, you can watch any scene and go, wow, I, I learned something about that character. I learned something about that timeline, every single one. Everybody gets a really intelligent arc. It's a beautiful story. You get love and sadness, joy and disappointment, motivation, loss, like uh, nostalgia. You get everything through all these characters and, and literally nobody's bad. The whole movie, top to bottom, is just so joyful. Yeah, Like Andrew said, and in a time of cynicism, it's just such a beam of hope for everybody in it. It's so good. The structure is very interesting because that's not how the book is. Yeah, The book is usually – all their childhood and then all adulthood. Sometimes in some countries I read it was very interesting. They just split them into two separate books, childhood and adulthood. So the structure is very – it's kind of experimental of her and it works perfectly like you said, Jake, because the stuff of the past informs what's going on in the present. It flows beautifully. It's a beautifully edited movie. 
And as far as acting talent goes, Saoirse Ronan's my girl. Love her so much. She's Laura Dern is better here than she is in Marriage Story. And that's not to say she's bad in Marriage Story, but she's going to win for the lesser movie or the lesser performance, in my opinion. She's just the perfect matriarch of this family. And Florence frickin' Pugh, ugh, she's so (laughs) freaking good at a role that could have easily been bratty and two-dimensional. Steals the movie out from under people like Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper. Like, are you kidding? This girl, she was the it girl <laughs> of 2019, right? in my opinion. I, I can't wait to see what these next couple of years are in store for her. She's like our age. I can't Looking wait. Looking forward to it. She's got Black Widow down the pipeline, so we'll be seeing a lot more from her. Little Women's my number three. Nate, what's your number two? All righty. Uh, keeping the emotional beats going, this movie made me a mess. A beautiful mess, but a sobby wet mess all the same i'm talking about a beautiful day in the neighborhood uh we never got the chance to review this one but this movie really got to me uh i i didn't grow up with mr rogers i think our generation was kind of the odd ones out there i vaguely i vaguely remember him but yeah didn't grow up with him like we might have seen like a rerun or something yeah i wasn't familiar with him he died he died when we were like eight or nine i would say Mm -hmm. this movie isn't really about him uh, it's about a man trying to come into his own feelings and his own relationships with his estranged father, his wife, his new son. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. And I think one of the biggest selling points of the movie for me is that it didn't have a lot of big name stars. Obviously, you have Tom Hanks as right. Mr. Rogers, but the main cast aren't your standard Hollywood A-listers. And I really think that worked to the movie's favor because it felt like I was watching real people instead of actors. And that was a rare sight to see in the cinemas this year. And it totally nailed the tone that this movie needed to hit. And yeah, when the third act came around, I needed the tissues. I was all over the place. Don't don't say too much more. This is another big one I missed. I'm disappointed about. He ain't gonna drop the ending. <laughs> I'm just yeah. making sure. <laughs> uh, that's a very good point about the non-big names. There's like a lot of good B and C list actors in here. Matthew Reese is the lead. He's best known. He's the co-star to Kerry Russell on a apparently amazing FX show, The Americans, which I've never seen. But she, he's apparently fantastic in that. And then in Chris Cooper again, like I just mentioned him in Little Women, he plays a pretty big role in this as well. I think what's most impressive about this film is how it sidesteps a lot of the generic biopic tropes that you might have expected. Mm-hmm. Like when I saw the trailer for this, I was like, all right, Tom Hanks is going to be great, obviously, and he is. But it's very much <laughs> going to be very schmaltzy and very by the numbers, and it's going to have the big dramatic scenes that you expect. And sure, they're there, but the way that Marianne Heller, who directed – can You Ever Forgive Me last year. So she's had a pretty great back-to-back years here with Melissa McCarthy, of course, in that one. The thing that she does really well, she contextualized what Mr. Rogers meant to specific people using this one guy. It's less about Mr. Rogers. It's more about Mr. Rogers' impact. And I think that's a really smart way to approach it because Mr. Rogers is basically a god figure. What are you going to do? You're not going to make him like an alcoholic or anything like that. You're not going to delve deep into that yeah. kind of stuff. We didn't need the Rocket Man approach to this one. Right, exactly. You don't you don't need the the Dewey Cox story of Mr. Rogers. <laughs> oh my god. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere Seth Rogen is thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. 
But A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, it is a really pretty movie, and that third act does bring a lot of the heartstrings through. Another fantastic ending to a film. This was the year of really, really great endings. Amen. So yeah, I definitely thumbs up for me. Not quite as high as you, but definitely thumbs up. Jake, what's your number two movie? Uh, it's something you mentioned earlier. It's called Parasite, and it was excellent. This was probably, I don't want to say the first movie of the year that I felt this way, but it might have been. When the movie ended, I just kind of sat for a minute, and I, re- I really just did have this moment of, that was excellent. Like, holy hell, what? I'm not even sure what to think about everything I just saw, but I loved it. And, like, people are talking about, you know, like, other metaphors and themes in it. And, honestly, I probably missed some of them. And I still goddamn loved this movie. Like like we said, go in knowing nothing. Which means I can't talk about anything outside of the first ten minutes. Other than the fact that there is a giant pivotal point halfway through. Both halves are just amazing. So well written. So well directed. Very well acted. Well, well shot. Like, top to bottom. I just thought this movie was so good. And if you're somebody who shies away from subtitles, put your big boy pants on, suck it up, and go watch this movie because oh. it is You don't awesome. even notice the subtitles after the first five minutes. No. The characters you're just so do such it. a great job of emoting what they are that you get the sense of what they're going through. Yeah. And the subtitles are more just to guide you along, not to tell you the story. So you, so you know what they're saying, but... Exactly. Like, and while it's fresh off the memory, this is another one that benefits from not showing our standard Hollywood actors. These are mm-hmm. big names in South Korea. Yeah. But for here in the U.S., these are all a treat because you've never seen these guys perform and they slay it. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. Everybody. It really is one of those movies that you're like, I can't believe what I'm watching and I love it. Excellent pick. I do want to temper expectations a little bit based on what we're saying. When we're being cryptic on the plot, don't go in expecting some kind of like J.J. Abrams like mystery box twist or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, like like no no usual suspect sixth sense twist kind of thing. Not like that. The story's just so constantly surprising in a way that's realistic. It's just a knockout in general. So yeah, don't expect a sixth sense twist. That's a good way to put it. But expect just mm. incredible storytelling. Yeah, as it builds, you just go, wow. <laughs> Speaking of movies that you can't believe what you're watching, you can't believe somebody gave somebody money to do this. My number two movie is The Lighthouse. Wow, I did not expect that this high. Robert Edgar, who directed The Witch, which came out four years ago at this point in 2015. Yep. 16th century Puritan supernatural horror movie. I like that movie. I don't love it. It's not very accessible. This movie's even less accessible. Way less accessible. It's shot in like letterbox form. It's black and white. It takes place <laughs> on a lighthouse with two characters, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And that's it. And that's it. And then from there, it is just the craziest, most surreal, bizarre experience. And I loved every second of it. It is so goddamn weird and so good. Because of the acting between these two, if you don't like Robert Pattinson at this point, just shut up. Because you're just not giving him a chance. Andrew, Andrew, what am I going to say? I know. Like, it's ridiculous. Ignorant. Ignorant. (laughs) With a capital I-G. If you're stuck on Robert Pattinson's Twilight days, my God, put put that decade behind you and move on because he is – he's doing some good work. Yeah. If the world was right, Willem Dafoe and Brad Pitt are going to tango for Best Supporting Actor. Because it's a toss-up for me between the two of them. Willem Dafoe is a monologue in this movie that I, all I'll say is about lobster. And it is the most gripping, like, 45 <laughs> seconds of the year. 
And it just doesn't make sense that it should be like that. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to see this one. Uh, it is. It was on the list, and it it had, like, that initial hurdle for me to get over because, oh, no, it's the same guy who did The Witch. That's horror-y. I don't like horror. <laughs> and I just missed this one from theaters, so I'm waiting for it to come out on some sort of streaming service so I can see it in all its glory. But everything I've heard and everything that you're saying now just further cements my need to see this movie. Right. See, I was lucky. I, I did catch it. Like, I think I, I caught it and then a week, maybe two weeks later, it was gone. Like, I just got it. And I'm not as over the moon as Andrew about it, obviously, but I, I did like it quite a bit. I liked it more than The Witch. And honestly, in most other hands, this movie would have would not have worked at right. all. Surreal doesn't always work. It's very hit and miss. Like there are movies that you love, Jake. Like like the first one I just thought of is It Comes at Night. I know you love that movie. Yeah, I think that's really good. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. But I don't think it hits the mark because it isolates you. And it is so weird and it's so like nuanced and intentionally Indian art house that it kind of alienates you. This movie does the opposite. It pulls you in so that you're basically acting like Robert Pattinson. You're laughing deliriously and you're horrified by what you're seeing and you feel like you're hallucinating. You don't know what's real and what's not. You feel like you're stuck with them and that's horrifying but it's also exhilarating. It's an adrenaline rush that you movies can rarely offer you. There is a moment right in – I think right around – the transition from act two to act three where I briefly took myself out of the movie and literally thought to myself, what the hell is happening? Cause that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so obviously yeah, big time wild. wreck for me, uh, <laughs> watching this movie three times in a row, if it wasn't so good, would be a great penalty for the box office draft. Cause you would lose your mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quick anecdote. One of my best friends from work, he was telling me he had a he saw it with me originally, brought a flask into the theater, did it correctly. But then later he had a lighthouse party with his friends and they drank a bunch of whiskey and like before one o'clock and they were like blubbering by two thirty. Full blown sailor <laughs> men. <laughs> uh, apparently things got weird. Fitting. So yeah, there's a big recommendation. Get a bunch of friends, drink whiskey, watch the lighthouse. My number two. I'm All actually right. down. <laughs> As Sid said in Toy Story, the big one. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> What's your favorite movie of 2019? All righty, drum roll, please. Detective Pikachu. (laughs) (laughs) Incorrect. Yeah, it's the only movie that we've all talked about at this point. It's Parasite. Mm. Parasite is number one. Again, we've already talked about it. And I don't want to go ad nauseum over it. No, let's go. Go in, King. It's your number one. (laughs) I think... The biggest takeaway is just fresh. Like, to borrow from Rotten Tomatoes here, it is such a new piece of cinema that I have never seen before. And I've seen a lot of movies. Drew's obviously seen a lot more than me. But I don't think there's anything like Parasite that has come before. And Absolutely. That goes for the first scene, the last scene, the middle, the big stuff. Everything about this movie is something that I have not seen in a movie before, and it kept me guessing the entire way through. Yep. Every single twist and turn, every single bit of character development, the fact that who you think you're supposed to root against actually aren't as bad as you think they are and want them to be, and vice versa, your protagonists aren't as cool or as smart as you want them to be, but they're still so lovable— there's so much going on. There's so many nuances in this movie. It's such an intelligent movie that I cannot wait 
watch this one again and again. It's going to be one of those that I'm definitely going to be revisiting frequently because it just is cinema at its finest, it's filmmaking at its best, and it is a damn good movie. Kind of like we said about Endgame being remarkable what it pulled off, this is also remarkable in what it pulled off. But for a single movie, it is so unbelievably well-crafted, well-written, well-executed, directed, told, acted. Like, I can't believe how good this movie is. If you, ha- you guys haven't gotten the message yet, I know we have to say it multiple times sometimes, <laughs> but you should see Parasite is kind of where you come at. It's Nate Longarini's favorite movie of last year. Parasite, certified middle seats, royal throne. The, no, the golden throne. Golden, golden throne. throne. We all love oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, golden throne. Mm-hmm. Parasite. Jake Hensler. All right, so my number one is uh, is one that Andrew had brought up being Marriage Story. Mm. Marriage Story probably, even more so than Toy Story 3, probably touched me more and had an effect on me more than maybe any other movie. I knew it was coming to Netflix, and I still went to see it in theaters just because I feel like the theater experience is generally a little better. And like I said, I'm not a crier. I got choked up at least once, maybe twice. It's like poetic of a movie. It's So I get annoyed by the memes, and I get annoyed by people who say it's just a movie about divorce. I'm like, it's yes, but no. You can do that with anything. It's not, though. Like, it's complicated with Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin is just about divorce. Right. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> Good one. Um yeah, this, this solidified me as Adam Driver being one of the best actors out there right now. Scarlett Johansson being so much more than what people think she is. They're both so great. It's so it's so happy, but it's so it's so sad at the same time. And it's they're splitting up because they need to, but they're not it's not like it's not necessarily messy in the way that people think divorce is. It's a very, very realistic, deep, real life portrayal of what it looks like. And it's I I don't know. I just absolutely fell in love with this movie. The acting, how well written it is, how a look can describe an entire scene and an emotion. You know, a look at the floor by Adam Driver halfway through the movie just tells you everything you need to know about what he's going through. It's just yeah. so unbelievable. Noah Baumbach is really good at traversing the awkward corners of life is one thing I've noticed, especially he did Francis Ha. He's actually dating little women. So <laughs> the director of my number huh. – like, Hold on. Let me yeah, go. rephrase. He's what? <laughs> Oops. Plural? <laughs> like an Epstein thing. Okay. Oh, good lord. <laughs> He's actually dating Greta Gerwig. So my Got director it. for my number four favorite film of the year is right next to the director of my number three favorite <laughs> film of the year. What a power household. Yeah, Jesus. So obviously he directed her in Francis Ha, which came out a couple of years ago. Uh, The Meyerowitz story, which was the best Adam Sandler performance until this year. He just is so good at the little awkward things in life. Like there's one scene, and this is not really a spoiler. It has to do with somebody serving someone papers. And the way we get to that point is just so uncomfortable. But it's how it probably would go in real life because nobody knows how to talk to each other about these uncomfortable things. Yeah, It's a lot of like speaking uneasy nothings and how difficult that is for us, especially for someone we've become comfortable with. I mean, we've all been in a situation where, like, maybe we have an ex that we want to still be close with, but we just don't know how to talk to them sometimes. And it's so relatable and so cringy, but it also, like, brings a tear to your eye because you know that the love is still there. And you can relate to it immediately in the movie. Mm-hmm. On a ground floor level, absolutely. Yeah, I, like, Adam Driver is absolutely heartbreaking in this movie. Every time he's on screen, I'm like, this, this poor f- guy <laughs> but then you find out certain things about him and scar joe and you you go back and forth with both of them 
you realize nobody's innocent, nobody's perfect, but you know the love right. is still there to an extent. It's just it's so tough. It's like the middle to upper class version of Captain America: Civil War because you're just trying to figure <laughs> out who you side with. <laughs> uh, and that's somebody. I so I can't take credit for this, but it's a movie that you know generally divorce is often you know associated with sides because there's a split up, a mom and a dad, a, a wife and a, a husband. But somebody said it's about a split up, but it's on both of their sides. And I really like that. Not villainizing either one of them. It's just telling it like it is and how hard it can be and how realistic it is. It was, I thought it was excellent. Right. It wouldn't have worked if either of them were villainized, I don't think. Yeah. Ugh. Adam Driver is so handsome and ugly at the same time. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's uncanny. Yeah. It's, it's such a dichotomy. Marriage Story is Jake's number one movie of the year. Like I said earlier, it was my number four. Uh, Nate's watching it right now on his iPhone and not paying attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> Shush. Just how cinema was intended to be watched on your iPhone with your AirPods. My number one favorite film of the year is a movie that it's maybe not the most technically accomplished one on the list, not the most ambitious movie on the list, but every time it just hits that spot on me where it just gives me such euphoric joy. My number one movie of the year is Booksmart. All right. Jake kind of alluded to it earlier. The silence was deafening. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is a genre I already love, high school comedies, because we have a lot of great ones. We have Superbad. We have Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We have a number of others. Eighth grade is a little young, but same genre. Yeah, same idea. We have this genre that I love, but a story that's told in a way that I've never seen it told. Very much like, imagine if in Back to the Future – if you got like a three-dimensional biff, that's what this movie is. Every <laughs> single character, it's such a loving, warm movie in the same way that Little Women is, where it just embraces every character for their flaws and their stereotypes. Like people do fall into stock in high school. You have the jock, you have the nerdy girl, you have the quote-unquote slut. But these people aren't just defined by that. And this movie is so good at showing these people as fully formed versions of what they're being told they are stereotypes of that goes aside from the fact that it is a hilarious movie like it is so funny it is hysterical it's so funny it's quotable caitlin dever and beanie feldstein beanie feldstein her brother will be very proud of her she's the sister of jonah hill and she's basically playing the jonah hill type but with a little bit more nuance than he did in Superbad, which is not to knock on him that's the type of movie that was and caitlin dever is going to be a superstar in two years in my opinion playing an LGBTQ character in a major high school comedy role. Good for her. Doesn't play it to stereotype. Plays it very much as a student in the 2010s would play it. I think it works extremely well that she that she is gay. Yeah. You absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm not, but I absolutely relate to the difficult, some of the difficult experiences she goes through and the heartbreak and, and that she goes through. I think it's excellent. The whole movie is a lesson in empathy. Yeah, ab- absolutely. That's yes. a really great way to put yeah. it. Um, I mean, again, it's going off of the you know, one wild, crazy night, but it's changing things a little bit. Like, okay, they're both chasing tail, but they're women. And one of them is chasing another woman. Like, right. that stuff is beautiful. Like, this is one of the most quotable movies I've ever seen. It's got an amazing soundtrack. There's at least four, five or six people in this movie that will be stars. Uh, yeah. Like I said, Feldstein, Dever, freaking Billy Lord. Carrie Fisher would be so proud of her. <laughs> yeah. Slays I, this movie. I forgot it was her until this my second viewing. I was like, oh my God. God, this Carrie Fisher's daughter. <laughs> if the Academy had any balls, she would be in contention for Best Supporting Actress. But <laughs> no, they're not going to do it. They would never do it. No. Skylar Gisondo as Jared. Insufferable, but great. On purpose. Molly Gordon as AAA. All on, on and on and on. Any character who gets 
speaking time is great. Yeah. Because you you see them at the beginning as these stereotypes, but as the movie goes on, you just learn more about them and you just see who they are. And it's remarkable that the movie was able to do that in the span of 24 hours in movie time. I I mean, I could gush about this thing for hours. And you have. (laughs) (laughs) Open your heart to it. Book Smart, my number one movie of the year. Easily. I think it's easily the most watchable movie of the year. I, I sobbed like a baby at the end of this too because it's such a great ode to friendship too. It is. There's, I love how supportive they are of each other. <laughs> like when yeah. she's like, you know, has that negative self-talk moment, Caitlin Dever slaps her and goes, if you ever talk about my best friend like that again. I got tear- I teared up at that moment too. I like that it. was such a beautiful, <laughs> so, it's good. so good. Awesome stuff. I don't know if it will, but it deserves in the coming years to be talked about like Superbad has talked about. It's so good. Yeah. Anyway, Booksmart's my favorite movie of the year. So that'll do it. Um, one more time, just around. Don't, no commentary involved. Read five through one, please, Mr. Nate. All right. Five was Avengers Endgame. Four was Spider-Man Far From Home. Three was Knives Out. Two, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And one was Parasite. For now, it goes Midsummer, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Booksmart, Parasite, Marriage Story. And again, for now, I agree with Jake, for now, Parasite, Marriage Story, Little Women, The Lighthouse, and Booksmart. There were a lot of other great movies that I saw this year. Knives Out, Ford v. Ferrari, Us, Uncut Gems. Didn't get to talk about any of those. Folks, just watch more movies in 2020. That's what we got to say to you. That'll do it for our episode here of the Middle Seeds Podcast. Nate Lungarini, before we go, where can they find us on the internet? All righty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. A couple of the movies we talked about tonight, we have reviewed in past podcasts, so be sure to look for those. Avengers Endgame was in there. We've talked about Knives Out. We've talked in briefities about like Toy Story 4 and Booksmart on those other pods. Of course, Star Wars wasn't on this list, but we talked about that plenty, <laughs> so don't waste our time. Go listen to those too. Uh, we'll be traversing into some unknown. It might be Bad Boys. It might be Doolittle. It might be Birds of Prey. We'll see what's coming in the upcoming weeks. It, it's not looking great, folks. Let's just say that. Like we were, we're too happy right now. The calm down is classic January. Yeah. <laughs> classic January. So for this episode of the Middle Seeds Podcast, for Nate Lungarini and Jay Kensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.